So you're here on a momentous occasion. And uh, not only momentous because we finished the uh, book of Matthew, but momentous because of the subject matter. Uh, we're looking at the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead and uh, the unique portrayal of that truth from uh, Matthew and his account. And uh, so we're excited to have you here. If you're here for the first time and you don't perhaps have a copy of the scriptures uh, of your own, feel free just to raise your hand. We've got some extras in the back. Anybody like that? Who needs a copy of the Bible? We've got lots of them. They're nice, really nice, too. They're in big letters, which I appreciate. And, uh, but they're back there. Good. Okay. All righty. And hopefully that you received a, uh, a visitor's guest packet uh, as you came in. Um, if you haven't, uh, again, we'd like to get something like that into your hands. It's a little gift from Grace Church of Mentor. Uh, would you mind just raising your hand if you're here and you haven't received that yet uh, from one of us, either in the morning worship service, anybody like that? Okay, all right. Well, we just wanted to make sure that you get that one-of-a-kind coffee mug. You don't want to miss that. Amen. Yes, there we go. All right. And um, so we want to thank you so much for being here tonight. Um, I got to get my password into this thing. All right, there we go. Hopefully it'll work. Come on. It's thinking. Well, it's telling me I'm welcome, so hopefully it'll introduce me to where I need to go here. Oh, it said that wasn't right. Let's try again. I hope Nick hasn't left. There we go. Funny when you put in the wrong password, it doesn't recognize it. Isn't that something? <laughs> so, yeah, our life is a life of trying to remember passwords, isn't it? Um, all right, well, before we look into the scriptures, let's go ahead and ask the Lord for help tonight as we try to understand what He has for us here. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the Bible. Uh, it truly is uh, one of the greatest gifts in, in this era uh, that. We have an objectifiable truth deposit, and we do not rely upon uh, private interpretations. We don't rely on, on secrecy or knowledge that is um, uh, surreptitious or otherwise difficult to obtain. We thank you that we all have the truth sitting on our laps, and we rejoice in that fact, and we are so uh, greatly comforted. Lord, we heard a wonderful message this morning about... Uh, the fact that we don't have righteousness, but God, at the same time as you're giving us that message, you uh, indicate that righteousness is manifest, it's revealed in the gospel, and that it is uh, uh, obtainable from another source. And we took such great comfort from that uh, through the uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you that we enjoy the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And Lord, tonight as we uh, look at uh, this final, uh, really the capstone of Matthew's argument through this whole book, uh, as he has exalted you, uh, Lord Jesus, as King of the Jews. I pray that uh, our hearts would thrill to the message and that we would uh, see in an undeniable fashion uh, your authority anew and afresh. And instead of being put off by that, I pray that the Spirit of God would help our hearts to warm to that authority and that we would joyfully, in this era, partake of of obedience to that authority. So we thank you for it, Lord. We love you. We need you. Help us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. All right, as you're looking at Matthew 28, our, uh, from my proposition tonight, I, I trust has been elevated from the scriptures. If you're taking notes and you want to write it down, I'll just go ahead and give it to you. I won't hold it back. Jesus' bodily resurrection from the dead is the most profound argument that Jesus is king of the Jews. Let me say that again. It's a long one, uh, so he has a few parts in it. Jesus' bodily resurrection from the dead, bodily resurrection from the dead, is the most profound argument that Jesus is the king of the Jews. The question that really Matthew has been working through and, and brings us to its, its final conclusion is this. Did Jesus have it right or not? Was he or was he not the Messiah? Was he truly the anointed of God or was he not? Was he the king of Israel or is he just a, a, a fake and a sham? Would all the hype and bluster as so many who have gone before him and so many who came after him go to the grave in silence with him? Unlike the other gospel accounts of Jesus' resurrection, his bodily resurrection, Matthew's treatment lacks the detail that they include. Matthew has, for example, nothing of the ascension. And he has little interest in all those who were involved in Jesus' post-resurrection appearances. For Matthew, there is one crowning fact that supports that the truth that Jesus is the king, just as he said, by the way, Jesus was raised bodily from the dead. And, and this is a display of authority that is unlike any other display of authority that mankind has ever been introduced to. And Matthew issues forth this final, uh, this, uh, this, uh, final uh, uh, apex, this pinnacle argument that this is authority of a unique kind. This is Jesus, the king, the king of the Jews, raised bodily from the dead. All of Jesus' contentions and witnesses to those contentions are profoundly verified in his bodily resurrection from the dead. All the alleged bluster was proven to, in fact, be true. The Jews could silence a dead Jesus, but they had no power over the resurrected Jesus, the King of the Jews, the Lord of all. Matthew reports that Jesus rose bodily from the dead, first of all tonight, because the angel of the Lord said so. Now, how would you like the angel of the Lord to witness in your behalf? That's a pretty profound and powerful witness. And we're going to see that tonight. Let's take a look at the first seven verses of Matthew chapter 28. Now, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. Now, we, were, we know that there was even another Mary and possibly some other women, but Matthew really has no interest in all of that. That's not the point that he's primarily concerned with. But we begin to see the point as he reports these, the points through these behold statements, right? Uh, Pastor Bob Potter taught us that anytime we see the word behold, uh, we're to stop 
and take a long, lingering look. Remember that? And uh, so we want to do that tonight. There's four of them in our passage. And Matthew uses this as a cue word for us to really understand what, what the primary argument that he's seeking to make. And he says in verse 2, And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred for or because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. Uh, evidently, when the angel of the Lord comes into the time-space continuum, as we know it in this earth, there's an earthquake. <laughs> That's just how these things are. And, and particularly when he goes about doing that which is impossible uh, by any normal human being. Uh, there's an earthquake. He rolled the stone. He sits upon it in, in sort of a... Yeah, this was kind of nothing. You know, <laughs> he just kind of sits upon it, like he sort of pushes it out of the way, you know, like you would your, your ottoman, and then he sits on it, like it's no really big deal. This is a, an amazing reality. Um, he sits upon it, verse 3, and his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him, and they became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, who interestingly enough, aren't affected in quite the same way as the guards were, but they're fearful. Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come see the place where he was lying Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, we'll see that here and again. We'll look at this. Behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. We'll get the other behold later on. But uh, Jesus rose bodily from the dead, first of all, because the angel of the Lord said so. These three beholds. In the first behold, we, we witness this severe earthquake that accompanies the angel of the Lord's descent from heaven and his rolling the stone away. And then we're introduced uh, to uh, sort of the, 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 the supernatural nature, obviously in those events, but even more particularly in the identity or, or just the description of the appearance of who this is. This is a witness unlike no other. This is a, an, the angel of the Lord whose appearance was like lightning. Now, I did a little research about lightning, and, and it's quite fascinating. And, and uh, uh, evidently, lightning uh, heats up to approximately 50,000 degrees Fahrenheit, or five times hotter than the surface of the sun. Now, obviously, that wasn't true of this angel, uh, or else nobody could stand anywhere near him. But, but the brightness that was coming from him, uh, we are told that light from a lightning bolt is equal to the amount of, an, of illumination from about um, 100 million light bulbs. Imagine that. I know we were a little, went through a trial here at Grace Church of Menor when we changed the light bulbs here. And uh, we put in, I think there's, does anybody count them? Is Nick in here? There's a lot, and um, as you can see, um, but there's nowhere close to a hundred million of them. Can you imagine that, having this witness to the bodily resurrection 
of Jesus Christ from the dead. Scientists tell us that the stroke channel of a lightning bolt is actually very narrow. Perhaps as little as a half inch. But what makes it look so wide and so large is that it is surrounded by a corona envelope or a glowing discharge that can be as wide as 10 to 20 feet emanating from this little tiny reality. This is amazing. Because of the intense glow of the light that is emitted from lightning bolts, they may appear much wider than they actually are. So we have this amazing figure, this amazing witness. And you know what? Honestly, if he says it happened, you know what I'm thinking? <laughs> it probably happened. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to sit there and have a little debate here with the angel of the Lord. And you're free to, but I'm just going to go with it at this point. You know? And I think you would be wise to do the same, my friend. Uh, the Bible goes on to tell us, or Matthew in his report, that he has clothing as white as snow. And this report is coming through uh, the gals here who are seeing all of this. As white as snow. Now, that's a metaphor that we are very familiar with here in Northeast Ohio. And uh, so I'm very thankful that I don't have to go into any in-depth illustration. Uh, but there are a few things that are more beautiful than a newly fallen snow on a sunny, sunny morning. And just it, it truly hurts the eyes to try to look at it uh, when you're walking out from your house. And um, sunglasses certainly are appropriate, even though uh, we're in the wintertime. And it's just stunning. It's amazing the picture that's here. Uh, this angel who descends uh, to the welcome of an earthquake and sits upon the stone that he very easily rolls away. And he shines, he shines, and he's, he, he is, he is, he, he, he is fearful in that sense. But the angel um, uh, causes the guards for fear to faint. Those who have no interest in the interests of the king uh, are filled with fear and terror as they ought to be. And there is no message for them. Uh, there is no uh, angel sort of trying to you know, take a little fan and revive them. No, their state is indicative of their spiritual reality. They are dead in trespasses and sins. They have no spiritual eyesight. And for those who stand in the, in the majestic glory of even angelic beings, uh, fall on their face for fear as dead men and women. And they aren't invited like John was in the book of Revelation to stand to their feet. There's no invitation for them. Remember the Bible says that if you do not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you are condemned already. The angelic host has very little time for humanity who refuses the gift of the God of heaven Father, whom his angelic compatriots are in heaven, flying around the throne, crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and the earth is filled with his glory. And then to understand that the Father sends his Son to earth. The Bible tells us that the angels long to understand this. This is a mystery. And they have very little time for a humanity that has no interest whatsoever in this 
transaction from heavenly perspective that is absolutely everything and is the mystery that dominates the corridors of heaven. So there's no interest in them, but these, these humble women, um, these are the ones to whom the angel addresses the announcement. This is, this is uh, in, in recollection of the fact that Jesus always went to the, the downtrodden and he's interested in, in lifting up the, those who are oppressed. Remember when we read the Old Testament prophets, one of the clear identities of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is he is the defender of the orphan and the widow. He is the one who, who takes up the cause of those who, who have no ability to protect themselves and here he he announces the angel is 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 not like who are you no he knows the king the king loves the weak and he is honored to announce to the women this great truth this great truth what does he say well don't be afraid What a wonderful reassurance. Um, what a wonderful joy to know that this angel of the Lord is on your side. This is, this is a profound, powerful reality. Don't be afraid. Come see the place where the Lord lay. You will not find him here because he has risen and the angel is very careful to remind us that he has risen just as he said. You see, the king is in absolute control. He has absolute authority. And everything that he says always comes to pass. And in mankind's thinking, when Jesus proclaimed the reality of his bodily resurrection from the dead, they literally thought that that of all the claims that Jesus made, by far and away was the most insane and the most incredulous and ridiculous. But the angel reminds us that he had risen just as he said. Just as he said. My friends, this, the Apostle Paul is going to refer to this event as the major event. Everything else in the New Testament falls against this backdrop as a minor reality. Um, the fact that Jesus died, buried, and rose again from the dead is absolutely um, the apex. And as the New Testament unpacks from this reality, it will continually remind us that it is absolutely nothing for the king to keep you and preserve you and take you to heaven because... In a major way, he has already done the most difficult thing in rising again bodily from the dead. Whatever need you have, 
Whatever concern plagues your soul, give it to the king. He's done it already. He, he, has, he has demonstrated a power and authority that in the argument of major to minor stands like a mountaintop as the major, historic, verifiable reality against which all others of our needs and concerns as God's people are measured. And in comparison, from God's perspective, all of those things are rather, I don't want to say easy for him in the sense that I'm depreciating the difficulties that we find ourselves going through. But from God's perspective, he's there with you. He's there allowing you to partake of his divine nature through great and precious promises. His grace is available. The Holy Spirit is inside of you. Your new nature exists as you meditate, as you continue to live your life based on the authority of this king. You will know supernatural help if you're willing to embrace those promises. Because that's nothing for Jesus to do for you in comparison to what he's already done. He hung on a tree. We talked about that last week. The suffering and the agony is absolutely indescribable. So for him to keep you and encourage you through trials, he can do that, my friend. Take advantage of it. Don't sit there without meditating upon those great and precious promises that are yours, you possess them by the authority of the resurrected King of kings and Lord of lords, and they will come to pass. Mark it down. So this is amazing. Um, he invites them to investigate, scrutinize, all that you desire, this is what God has always been inviting his people to do. Investigate, scrutinize, don't be a dummy, don't be mindless. Open up your Bible, know it, learn it, understand it. Aggressively get after me and see if I cannot answer the longing of your soul. I dare you, come. And those that come, those that open their mouth wide, the Bible says, has it filled to overflowing? Jesus said, I am the living water. I am the living water. If you come to me, you will not only be filled, but you will be a fountain of life that overflows to others. This is the authority of the king. I'm the bread of life. I'm the resurrection in the life. I'm the way, the truth, in the life. I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd. I'm everything. I'm the vine. Learn to draw from me. And I guarantee you, I will meet you. I will meet you. It's an amazing truth. Investigate. Then he tells them to go tell. Go tell. Often Jesus in the past had uh, petitioned his disciples not to tell uh, for various reasons. And uh, his time had not come, but his time has come, my friends. It is now time to tell. It is no longer time to, to keep it quiet, to keep it under wraps. It is now time. And, and certainly, I'm, I'm using that by way of analogy, the women were to go specifically tell the disciples. And, and, uh, and they did. 
The first behold. The second behold. Uh, uh, the angel reminds us is that Jesus goes on ahead of you. Uh, uh, verse number um, six or seven, go quickly, tell the disciples, he's risen from the dead, and behold, I want you to take a long, lingering look. Jesus goes on ahead of you. Think of that reality. Jesus had not abandoned them. Jesus was not in his glorified, resurrected body, sort of now disinterested in the plebeian class, you and me. We didn't share that. Now, the New Testament uses the verbiage that Jesus is the first fruits. All that he is accomplishing and done, he has accomplished and done with the purpose of inviting you along. He goes before us. And, and, and in like fashion, he went before these women. And, 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 and as they told this seemingly ridiculous tale, that Jesus had bodily raised again from the dead, all of a sudden, who would show up to support the message? Would Jesus leave him in a lurch? Leave him looking foolish? Leave him looking ridiculous? No, not at all. Guess who showed up and invited them to touch his wounds? He addressed Thomas. He called Peter back to fellowship. Now, Matthew has none of those details. But he says, hey, I know I'm asking you to do a ridiculous thing, ladies. I'm asking you to go tell people that Jesus bodily rose again from the dead. Now, that, that's out there. I get that. But know that Jesus has already gone on ahead of you. And he's going to actually stop them and, 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 and re-encourage -re them. And it's an amazing thing. Behold, take a long, lingering look that Jesus goes on before. He goes to Galilee. This is interesting. Galilee is, is not the place where kings go to assert their authority. Uh, Galilee is the Galilee of the Gentiles, in fact. This is the place where Jesus began his ministry. Again, it articulates the reality that Jesus is interested in the downcast and the downtrodden. It foreshadows the reality of Jesus' ministry in the but-now era to the Gentile nations. This is the king who's using his authority to, to become that which the prophets had said he would become, a minister to all people, to all people, and particularly to those who are labor and are heavy laden, and he will give them rest. He will invite them to take his yoke upon them and to learn of him, his authority, and they will find that that yoke is easy and that burden is light. To Galilee. And I love it. It says there, says verse number uh, uh, seven again, there you will what? See him. There you will see him. You know, you don't see spirits. Um, you see, you see corporeal, if I can use that word, bodies. You will see him, ladies. It'll be okay. You'll see him. I guarantee it. What a powerful, profound witness to energize us to go. Guarantee that God, Jesus has gone before us and that you will see him. 
And then another behold, <laughs> just in case they had forgotten. I have told you, you can almost feel the ground shaking again <laughs> underneath them, just, just in case if they really weren't quite sure. Take a long, lingering look at me. Take a long, lingering look at me and remember where I come from. Where I exist. Where I dwell. The power and authority that I have. I have told you. Go. The person and power of the angel of the Lord is surpassed. Only by the announcement he must give, or he gives. The angel knows those to whom he speaks, and in speaking to the women, he speaks to us. Jesus had been raised from the dead. You will see him. The angel of the Lord substantiates Matthew's argument that King Jesus is in the right. All that he said concerning his authority, his messiahship, is just as he said and his bodily resurrection proves that authoritatively with authority may we know it is not ours to be afraid jesus is going to take his resurrected bodily reality and as we come to the end of this passage he's going to say go make disciples and oh by the way i will be with you even until the end of the age fear not it is not ours to fear. The fear of man brings a snare, we're told, in the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom and understanding. If you fear anything, fear God. Attack your anxious thoughts with thanksgiving, we're told, in the New Testament. Fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. Now, we may tend to be afraid because it is true. Jesus is not here any longer. The rest of the story is Jesus ascends into heaven. He has risen bodily from the dead and he has ascended. He has gone before us far beyond Galilee. He goes to prepare a place for us as we're reminded. Doubtless he will come again and receive us unto himself. He's coming again. Jesus of Nazareth. The king of the Jews is coming again. It is ours to believe what we have read and been told. You know, not only is King Jesus in the right in what he said about uh, himself, I'm sorry, uh, because of what uh, the angel said about him, but because uh, uh, also because Jesus' enemies said so. Now, it's a powerful argument when you can sort of have your enemies unwittingly admit that what you're arguing is absolute truth. And we have that here, and Matthew reports that for us in verses 11 to 15. Unless an angel witness uh, is not enough for you, uh, there are fewer stronger arguments than when those who vehemently disagree unwittingly admit to the truth of the argument that you seek to prove. All that had happened had been reported to the chief priests. We hear that. And there's no, uh, in other words, it, it was not misreported uh, to them. Verse number 11, now while they were on their way, these are the ladies doing their thing. 
sort of in the meantime, some of the guard or, or some of the guard came into the city, the guard that was had had fallen as it were dead uh, in the face of the angel. They came into the city and reported to the chief priests how much of what had happened. All of it. All of it. They didn't hold it back. Everything that they knew, they reported. They did not skew the details. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, that's the, the, the priests, uh, they gathered the Sanhedrin, they consulted together, and they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, a large sum, and said, you are to say, his disciples came by night and stole them away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we promise we'll take, you, we'll take care of you, we'll keep you out of trouble. And they, that's the guard, took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day, Matthew re reports. All had been reported to the chief priests. It was theirs now to simply do what? Bow the knee to the king. But instead, they unwittingly admit to the truth that they sought to hide. They devised a story of Jesus' en enemies, or the, they devised a story, um, or their devised story, I'm sorry, substantiates the fact of its own lie, of the fact that it's a lie, and that bribery was used to perpetuate it. It is so weak that it witnesses to the truth of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Unwittingly so. A truth that they knew they must keep quiet at all costs. Observing their arguments, we could simply deposit the idea, well, if the guards had been asleep, as the story demand, they claim, then they could not have known of the theft. Was it a theft, or what exactly was it? If one were awake, why did he not sound the alarm then? Well, some would say, well, maybe we were a little awake. Well, why didn't you sound an alarm? It is quite implausible that the disciples who had abandoned out of fear the Lord Jesus would find courage all of a sudden to risk opening a guarded, sealed tomb if the Sanhedrin had any evidence of the truth of this story, naturally, the truth of their fabricated story, naturally they would have prosecuted the disciples. None of that ever happened. In fact, what is proven is that the Sanhedrin and their religious system are hypocrites. Remember chapter 27, verse 42, when they told Jesus, who is hanging on the cross, come down from that cross and we will believe you. He said that in front of the, the masses. What hypocrites. Jesus had not only come down from the cross, he had risen again from the dead. And all they could see to do was to hide that with some fabricated, horrific, unsubstantiable story. Their concern all along has been their own reputations and what was expedient to that end rather than the truth. And that's always the issue of unsaved religious man when it is confronted by the authority of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Uh, in our unbelief, we hopelessly, we, we, we religiously, we, we grip on to our own self authority, and we refuse to capitulate to the king. 
So perhaps tonight we see ourselves in the Sanhedrin. It is the resurrection that substantiates Jesus' claim concerning his purpose, his person and purpose. It is a single fact, more so than any other, that will get you in hot water with those to whom you seek to minister. If you're born again, Jesus' bodily resurrection must be diminished if man's own reputation and standing is to remain intact. You can't have both. Jesus can be a wonderful person, he can be a social reformer, and he can be a great teacher. But as soon as you assert the truth that he is bodily resurrected from the dead, he is Lord, he has authority over your greatest enemy, death, that is way too much for mankind, and he hates that. If it were true, then the King, Je then King Jesus must be worshipped and obeyed rather than mankind. And they will not stomach that. I didn't stomach that for years. Neither did you. Until the Holy Spirit helped you out. Jesus' enemies in their half-baked effort to cover up the truth unwittingly witnessed to the fact that Jesus is the King and he is in the right, just as he said. Finally tonight, most profoundly amazing, and this is amazing to me, Jesus, in his resurrected glory, proclaims that he himself is in the right. Jesus himself. Now, why is that so amazing? Well, don't forget chapter 27. At the end of chapter 20, 27, we seal them up in a tomb. You know, if you're in the West, there's one, or if you're a pirate, that's what it is, one truth governs sort of how you operate. Dead men tell what? No tales. So you kill everybody, and you don't have to worry about somebody squealing where the treasure's hid. Well, my friends, this dead man tells a tale. This is amazing. Jesus, from beyond the grave, if you will, bodily resurrected, Jesus himself witnesses uh, his power and authority and his glory. This is not an out-of-body experience. This is not Jesus five minutes in heaven. This is not his shack experience. This is none of those things. This is the King of kings and Lord of lords asserting his authority over man's greatest enemy, and that is death. And he speaks with authority now. No longer the lowly man of Galilee, acquainted with grief, he is now the resurrected Lord and King. Verses 8 through 10, we have uh, Jesus speaking. Uh, we have to go back a little bit, but he meets the ladies um, at the tomb. They left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And here's another behold, Jesus himself meets them. And greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee. And there they will see me. He, he gave them some more information, some more truth. Out of the grave, what does Jesus do? He meets and he greets. 
His feet are physical feet. Feet that can be taken hold of. He receives worship. He speaks with a functioning physical tongue in a human language that is known to men. He indicates that his disciples are in fact his what? This is amazing to me. Go take word to my what? My brethren. My brethren. This is a wonderful term of endearment. This is the resurrected Lord of glory. He doesn't leave us in a lurch. He doesn't, who doesn't uh, uh, ride away sort of leaving us holding the bag. No, he proclaims that we are his brethren. Uh, and, and all that he knows and enjoys in his resurrected bodily experience will be ours. We are not his inferiors. He is a bodily resurrected Jesus who will be seen. In verses 16 to 20, we see, but the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain, which, is, which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they did what? They worshipped him. That's what we do when we see Jesus. When we see his physical person, we worship. That, that's the appropriate response. We grab his human foot and we do obeisance to him. Um, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to deserve all that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Grace Church of Mentor knows this passage well. But as we observe this passage, it is amazing, and it is outstanding, and it is noteworthy to understand that with Jesus' new regal authority having been vindicated, demonstrated, the first words out of his mouth to his disciples, go pillage and plunder. It's not to go wreck and ruin. It's not to go tell them that I told you so. No. No. Remember, Jesus came grace and truth, and we beheld glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This is not the time for wrath. This is the but now era. And this is the single thing that he wants those who follow him to do. This is it. You miss this and you miss the whole age. If you are not about the business of either becoming a disciple or being a disciple maker, somewhere in that process you have blown it. You have blown it. This is the regal word for this era. This is the first. This is the sentinel. This is the first uh, 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 executive order from the king. This is the most prominent and preeminent one. Boy, you better get it. You better embrace it. You know, I've heard some people say, oh, this discipleship thing at Grace, it's just too much. I can't handle it. Well, maybe we've overbaked it. That hasn't been our intention, and we should take responsibility for that. All we're talking is about is you better be a word-saturated individual, and when you come to church or when you interact with somebody either who doesn't know the Bible 
and doesn't know Jesus or somebody who does, you're ready to share that principle either in, in, in quotation or its principle. I mean, this is, this is what we're ready to do. You know, the army of Israel, what were they ready to do? They were ready to, to, to put the sword in. They were ready. The Benjamites were left-handed, and they, could, they, could, they were ready, and boy, they could, they could hit anything with that sling. Are you ready to disciple? Are you practiced? Are you, are you filled up? When you come to this place, or have you had your devotions? Are you, are you learning all that Jesus has for you and ready to let it overflow? Oh, I hope so. That's all we're talking about. That's what it's all about here and should be everywhere in the context of the local New Testament church. It's nobody else's responsibility. It's yours. You know, you either are learning and preparing to become that and and trying to lead somebody else, maybe, or, or, or vice versa. Or, or, you know, it's, just, it's constant. It's constant. There's a singular purpose. Make disciples with comprehensive authority. All authority, Jesus says, I have now that I am bodily resurrected from the dead over all the universe. I have authority. And all authority is now funneled through me. I am over all nations, and all that I command you, you must know, and always I will be with you. These four, this tetrad of, of, of four universal statements that are absolutely amazing. All, 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 and always. This is what we do. This is what we've been given to do. This is the, uh, where we're at in a most outstanding verbal pronouncement. So what does Jesus do if that was enough, just in case you missed it? This question of his deity, this question of his authority, this question of his power, he includes himself in the baptismal formula. Baptizing them in what? The name of the Father and me and the Spirit. Why? Because I am God. I am God. This is powerful. I mean, who is that? <laughs> Jesus does. He's the only one that does because he is God. And you will baptize in the name of the Father, in the name of me, and the name of the Spirit. That's how you're going to go forward. That's how you're going to go forward. This is profound. You know, Matthew is surgically precise, and I appreciate your patience. He demands that Jesus is the king. Having conquered the grave in his bodily resurrection, he vindicates once and for all the truth that the Jesus of Nazareth is the king of the Jews. He is the Messiah of God, and he is worthy of your obeisance and adoration. Matthew's task, my friends, is done. There's no report of dissension, no report of Peter and John or other women at the tomb, nothing about disciples on the road to Emmaus, no invitations to touch Jesus or to take a meal with him are reported, no weeping Mary in the garden or Thomas, not even a restoration of Peter. Matthew had no interest in those things. His interest was solely a question of authority. And does Jesus have it? And the resounding answer is absolutely. Absolutely in the evidence of his bodily resurrection. Matthew's longing was for the Jews and all those who read his gospel to understand that Jesus is a king. He now has authority over every aspect of your life. There is no salvation without this first truth. Pastor mentioned that this morning. This is the first truth. 
It is a truth of authority. And it's the first truth that stands as a sentinel to all of the New Testament. You must deal with the authority of Jesus Christ before you go any further in the New Testament. That's what Matthew's doing. That's what he's doing. And it is the first truth that we get. He is nothing if he is not the king. Have you submitted to him? Have you declared him, like Matthew, to be Lord in your life? May we daily humble ourselves into this profound truth as we wait for the day the king returns. A day when we, like the women at the tomb, will be able to seize hold of his feet and worship him. May we practice hard at that worship. Hard. We have to do it in spirit and in truth. So in the day when our faith is sight, it'll be a no-brainer. We'll be lining up to grab his feet because we have done so in spirit and truth. May there be no hesitancy in that day and no lag of worship. And obviously, believer, we worship that way, but we've got to be disciple makers. That's where we stand. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly